sit down, relax, open up a cold one or a hot one, no matter what you want to do this time of year, and enjoy, because it is time for the Selby is Godcast with TJ Zuppi and Zach Meisel. And of course, I use the word enjoy strategically for this particular episode. You know why. What's up, brother? It is amazing. It's been seven months since that interview, and I would say, oh, still close to at least one day. I get someone saying that to me as if I had never heard it before. <laughs> um, but, you know, I didn't know at that time that that phrase would become as popular as it has. But I guess it doesn't matter what I think. I don't think Paul Dolan realized that phrase would become as popular as it has. <laughs> No, no, no kidding. Uh, I could have phrased it a million other d- different ways, and it will, and one way or another, it will become an anthem of something. You wrote about the the uh, or the possibilities that Francisco Lindor presents the Indians, and uh, pretty much any path that they go down in the short term is going to be painful, and you're going to hear the word enjoy in regards to enjoy him, or we tried to enjoy him. As much as possible, whenever you get to whatever the conclusion of this story may be, whether he ends up staying with the Indians for the next two years, whether they trade him this offseason, next season, next offseason, whether he walks away. I think the one thing you and I agree (laughs) at this point, and it was your first two things you wrote about today, is the possibilities of this lasting beyond the two years that are in, in front of Indians fans. Probably not that strong, uh, and I could kind of gauge that from your writing, but we'll get to that uh, coming up in a minute. Before we get to our big Lindor extravaganza where we kind of talk through what we're thinking about those possibilities, what they should do, what we think they're going to do, and all those predictions that people have been looking forward to, I, I do have a, an odd bit of something that popped into my mind earlier today. Do you have any strange fears or phobias that anytime you do something you think about and it it doesn't necessarily stop you from doing that one thing but it still causes you to take pause for even a moment to think about something that might frighten you well why don't since you clearly do why don't you tell me yours (laughs) so i can get maybe a clearer idea um and for sinians fans maybe that's just Francisco Lindor no longer being the shortstop. But for me, I don't know if it's because I've seen way too many Final Destination movies or what. Uh, Anytime I I think of any of the things that have happened in movies like that, and it happens in my life where uh, maybe you're washing dishes and you you have a knife, you just clean it, and you go to stick it in the strainer, you know, to let it dry, and you put the the sharp end up because you're not thinking – and then you think, oh, well, I remember that one movie, that guy slipped and he fell backwards and landed on the knife and he was dead. I got to flip this over. I'm like, those things pop into my mind all the time. But the one that kills me is today I was, we just finished up lunch and I was, I was washing some dishes and you know, the kids have been sick for a couple of weeks and you know, we'd been giving them uh, children's Tylenol and it has the little, the little syringe that you stick in there, squirt it in their mouth. And so the one piece had fallen down inside the garbage disposal and i swear to god zach anytime i have to reach my hand i I know i can see the on off switch i know it's not going to mysteriously turn on 
I know there's no way that it's going to happen that my finger's going to get chopped off, but you better believe anytime I have to reach my hand into the garbage disposal to reach in and get something out of there, it happens so fast. And if for some reason I can't, I can't quite grasp it, I still have to take my hand out like every five seconds just to breathe and not feel yep. like my fingers are going to get chopped off. I have the same one where I'll, like, I'll be doing the dishes and I'll, I'll be afraid to reach in there because like, what if something falls from the cupboard <laughs> or the ceiling and knocks the on off switch and there goes my hand fingers or what if like a, a really big fly lands on the on off switch and is heavy enough to, to push it down or something. Yeah. That one, that one a lot. Uh, the other one, I, these aren't, this isn't like the exact same, but like, I always think I didn't lock my car. <laughs> Even It's like such an automatic thing you do when you walk away. But like, I'm always like, wait, did I lock it? So I'll lock it like three times. And then I, I always assume that I forgot to close the garage. So when I pull away, I would say like 25% of the time I have to do a lap around my neighborhood to come back <laughs> to my driveway. And every single time it is closed. But I just for some reason can never remember if I did if I left it open or not. So just those little quirks always get me. Yeah. The garage one, uh, I have to physically see it close because of the, every garage door now has the sensor at the bottom, right? Where if something gets in the way of the garage door, it kicks it back up. So like a little kid is walking under it or, uh, even a a ball is under the garage door. It's going to kick the garage door back up. It is so sensitive that even if a, let's say a spider web catches a leaf and it, the garage goes to close and the leaf crosses the path, it kicks the garage door back up. So there have been a handful of occasions where I drive away and I close the door and I come back and the door is wide open. So now I have to sit there and watch the thing physically close and go all the way to a stop at the bottom before I feel comfortable enough to drive away. So I, see, that, I'm, that I'm sort of work with for you. someone like me who's always late. I don't have time for that. <laughs> Well, there is misal minutes, as I've coined the phrase. Anytime you need five minutes, typically that means 20 to 25. Although today we're starting the podcast late, partially by my fault. So I'll accept some blame. Well, it's right on time to all of our listeners. <laughs> no matter when, <laughs> when you clicked play. Uh, yes, something we have in common with Wizards is our podcast starts precisely when we mean to. So, uh, some might say Francisco Lindor is a wizard at shortstop. Am I right? No. And time is of the essence, right? All of this kind of comes full circle. So you wrote about it. I'll, I'll, I'll let you kind of initially lay out what your thoughts were on some of the, the possibilities for Francisco Lindor. But it's nothing, nothing that fans haven't been thinking about for a while, or perhaps seven months ago when they read that interview with Paul Dolan you did. But... Uh, Quickly, what do you think are some of the, the options they have this winter? And what do you think is the most likely outcome, at least at this point? You can already see some of the positioning, I think. You listen to what Chris Antonetti has said this month, and it's, it almost seems like they're already trying to get out in front to say, we would love to have this guy here forever. We just have to agree on a price. That way you're putting it on Lindor 
to when they trade him or he leaves in free agency in two years, it's almost like, hey, we would have tried to keep him, but he didn't want to sign an extension. I don't know if that's completely manufactured, but I do. It is interesting. Like this is Antonetti spoke on this more frankly than he ever has. Um, I, I just I keep coming back to this. Lindor has always been a guy to bet on himself. Um, he had he had the signing bonus out of high school. He told his parents when he was really young they would see him on TV one day. Uh, he he's got endorsement deals. He obviously made ten and a half million dollars his first year of arbitration. That'll go up to somewhere around sixteen or seventeen this winter, and then it'll be even higher the year after that. It's like he has no incentive to sign long term unless it's the sort of deal that isn't going to be topped by anybody else. He wants to win. I think he feels confident he can do that here for the long haul. Um, now, the issue is all the other teams who could probably offer him the contract he's going to want are teams that usually win, too, because that's kind of the way baseball is set up to work. So it's – I mean, I, I broke it down into three sections where – you could sign them to a long-term deal. Remember, the Indians have never signed anyone to a deal greater than the $60 million they gave Encarnacion over three years. Yeah, and uh, 60 so, might be what Lindor makes in his last year of arbitration. Right. So. I, I mean, it's, it's – yeah, you're, you're going from – okay, Paul Dolan, I know you just handed out that three for 60, and we even bailed on that before it got to the end. Well, now you're going to, what, triple the length and – I don't know, quintuple the the amount of money involved. So they're signing him to a long-term deal. I think the obstacle there is ownership. Um, I just, I mean, Paul Dolan said it himself. He's like, the day we hand out a $300 million contract is the day other teams are handing out billion-dollar deals. Well, okay. And it's, 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 that's more just they're not comfortable with pegging 30% of the team's payroll to one player. We can argue later on if, if, they should do that, but uh, it's just not in their philosophy. So the long-term option seems unlikely. Again, you'd still have to get Lindor on board, too. I've seen some people float out the idea of, oh, why don't you give Lindor a short-term extension? Give him four years, five years. Then he can hit free agency again at 32, 33. And it's like, why on earth would he do that? Like, by 32 or 33, he might not be able to play shortstop anymore. Skills might actually start declining. And you're, we've seen in free agency, like, you're not going to get that lucrative contract that you would have been able to get 15, 20 years ago. So uh, I think that's out the window. It's just not in Lindor's best interests. Um, and so then the other options are trade him, and we can talk in depth about that because you certainly can get more for him with two years remaining, a.k.a. trade him this winter, than you could a year from now, as we saw the Orioles didn't get a whole lot for Manny Machado. He had one year left on his deal. So that's an option. And then the fourth option is is you keep him. You hang on to him. You, you play out the string for the next two years. You try to win a World Series. If you win a World Series and he leaves, I think every fan in Cleveland would say, you know what? We got what we've been looking for for seven decades, and it's, hey, that's all right. Like, thanks for delivering a championship. Um, but if you don't win one and then he leaves and all you get in return, you, you wear a T-shirt that says, I drafted and developed and watched Francisco Lindor play for 10 years in my organization. And all I got was this lousy draft pick. 
that's that that's going to hurt probably more than anything. So there are four options. I think we can eliminate the short. Do you agree? We can eliminate the short term extension. The only way that ever would work is if you're just paying him unbelievable money up front and Which so much money exactly what they wouldn't do. Right. So much money up front that Lindor could could not possibly say no, that you're getting paid more, um, so much more so on the front end, because you're seeing a lot of these deals where, uh, what, what is Bryce, was it Bryce Harper that only made like 13, 14 million this year because it's entirely backloaded the first year. There's not, there was not a lot. I mean, you see the yeah. deals oftentimes get backloaded because, well, you'd rather take care of this problem in the future than right now. Um, and the other thing is inflation is going to take care of some of that cost too. $30 million, uh, you know, seven years from now might not feel as bad as seven, $30 million feels right now. So there's a lot of reasons why deals get backloaded. And if you were just front loading it so much, that's the only way it would happen. And I just can't see that happening. Um, and the Indians are, are a team that I, I oftentimes feel like it's the length of the deal more than just the amount of money they're paying him over a short term that scares them off. Maybe that is more risky to them than just paying a guy a lot of money up front. Because we have seen, I mean, you mentioned the Napoli thing, you know, they will pay up a guy a lot of money up front for one year, but they're not going to commit to a long-term deal necessarily. But I don't think they worry about that as much with, with a guy like Francisco Lindor because he plays shortstop. He's going to move down the, the chain of, of defensive positioning. So it's not like a guy that you're paying right now to play left field that only is going to move to, maybe first base and then DH, you've got a lot of time with Lindor where, okay, maybe he moves down to third base or maybe he moves down to second base and then you can move him across the infield. You know, you can get more out of him as long as the bat continues to play. So he's a guy that kind of makes for a unique case where you're probably not as concerned about the length of the deal as you would be some other players and his age factors into that too. So all of that combined as as well as, as you said, he's not going to want to enter free agency again. The way the, the game is played, Right now, with teams wanting to pay guys that are young as opposed to guys that are on the other side of 30, I just don't see that being beneficial to him. The only way that it would possibly work is if it's not its not exactly a short-term deal. It's a long-term deal with maybe one or two opt-outs, and he has the option to jump if he wants to. But that's the only way I could see I think... like a short-term deal. But that's not even a short-term deal. That's just right. a regular deal with providing him the option to walk away later. So it's interesting that you bring that up. I, I think we agree. Like we can short term, that's out. Um, and Lindor hasn't, he's waited all this time. Like he's rejected offers from the Indians in the past because he is, he's gotten this close. Like I don't think he's gotten this close and waited this long just to sign for three extra years um, and then complicate his future even further. So the opt-out idea is interesting. You know, you look at the Indians and the contracts that they hand out. They're always in the Indians' favor. It's always a team option. It's never a player option. They always want to hold the leverage in, in that relationship. And it's interesting because I think some opt-out clauses in a long-term deal could be beneficial for both sides here. You know, if you extended Lindor, I keep coming back to the Nolan Arenado extension just because they're somewhat similar players and, and they're not got eight for 260 um i think eight years is a good length for lindor i i think 
I think you trust, like, he doesn't look like the guy who's going to get fat and have to play a shitty third base and, like, hit 260 with limited power and just has no range, no speed. Like, he seems like someone who's going to stay in shape and um, still be productive into his 30s, I would think. So, eight years seems reasonable, but if you give him an opt-out maybe after a, a couple or a few and, like, he can... He can hold the leverage there. And then maybe if it is advantageous for him to hit free agency again at 31, he can take that risk. Um, I just think you don't want – like the short term doesn't make sense because then he has to do that. But if he yeah. has the option to do that, then maybe the, maybe he is interested. And then also maybe the Indians figure, you know what, that takes a little bit of the risk off of our, our end because if we sign him to this long deal and he is the great player he is and he wants to hit free agency, well – then, hey, we, we potentially get out of paying him 30 plus million dollars a year in his 30s. And we're already uncomfortable with that to begin with. <laughs> and who could blame us if the guy opts out? That's not ownership's fault. It's not the front office's fault. Um, that's on Lindor. So there could be like that's uh, I think if they were to sign him long term. And I, I still think I'm of the opinion of I will believe the Dolans will offer the sort of extension this guy deserves when I see it. I have no reason to believe. I mean, I mean the guy said it himself. Like I, I find it really hard to believe that he's going to offer anyone $300 million. But if it was ever going to happen, I think an opt-out clause or two would certainly make it more sensible for both parties. Um, I could see in Lindor's case, yes. But a lot of this still just comes down to, are you paying him enough money in the short term that he even considers this? I mean, why yep. why even consider it if I know I can hang on for another year or two and still make more money in the short term? Because I already know kind of in my mind what my arbitration numbers are going to look like for the next two years, and I can kind of bake that into the cake. In so many, and, and he shouldn't. I mean, this is his chance to cash in big, and he's done everything he can for the franchise to this point. So, no, he, he should not be feeling any sort of guilt to give anybody a hometown discount whatsoever. Um, the opt-out thing is interesting because from the Indians' perspective, and for really any team's perspective, you are trying to give the players some sense of, of control over their, their careers. And it, it can make some sense from a team standpoint if you are concerned long-term about the risk of the deal. For Lindor, as you said, I, don't, I guess the risk doesn't matter as much to me. And we could probably sit down and look at some similar career arcs and try to map out exactly what he's going to look like at the age of 32 or 33. But I think the risk factor is probably less for him, like I said, because of where he is starting on the defensive spectrum, how good of a player he already is. I mean, mm -hmm. we're talking about a guy that when the year began, if memory serves, according to, I think it was Zips, the projection system, there was only one other guy in baseball that was projected more war in the 2020 and 2021 seasons than Francisco Lindor. And it was Mike Trout. Uh, this guy is by any estimation, going to remain a very special player for a while. And there's also a factor here that is not just Lindor, the talented player. It's Lindor, the personality. Lindor, we've seen him embrace 
for whatever it's worth, more of a leadership role on the team. Not every player wants to to have that as mm-hmm. part of their their resume, and he clearly does not shy away from that. So the fact that he's marketable uh, and that Bilingual, he is... so he can connect with yes. every single person in the clubhouse? So he is, and I, and I hate the term, but when you're using it just as in this is his major, major selling point, but it's a little different when it's more just you kick it down the list a little bit. He is uh, a clubhouse glue guy, and it's important because he's also probably your best player. And that holds some weight, too. So I think when you roll all that together, I'm, I'm less concerned about the risk factor in all of this. It's just can you pay this guy enough money and can you be at least competitive compared to what other teams are offering? I don't think there's any planet that exists right now, any dimension, shout out to Mike Clevenger, that exists on the multiverse that you're going to be able to outspend the other teams. I just don't think it's possible. I don't, I don't think there's any scenario where they could actually get close enough that they're legitimately outspending him to the point where he's just taking into consideration maybe comfort with an organization compared to uh, the unknown of a different one. Yeah, and, and it's tough because he's he's gotten to this point where it's like, you know, you start imagining what might free agency be like. What teams might be interested in in me? Well, how much money could I potentially make? Who could I potentially play with? Could I play with my one of my good friends, Javi Baez? Um, stuff like that that comes in your mind the closer you get to free agency. So I, I, I don't know. And and then you have to think if I sign long term in Cleveland, like yeah, there's some good young talent. We've been a winning team as long as I've been here. Um, and, but if I'm taking up 35 million of a $115 yeah. million dollar payroll, are we going to be able to get better? You know, or are they going to have to cut costs? I'm going to have to yeah. say goodbye to, to good teammates once they reach arbitration. I mean, he's not it's, blind to what happened this winter. Exactly. And so, so he would have to believe that they're capable of, uh, string far more into their discomfort level than they have in the past. And I just don't see anything that would lead us to believe that that's possible. So let's, let's cover the trade section of this because it's, I think it's the most complicated wrinkle for a few reasons. Number one, there is a significant difference between two years of control of a perennial all-star and one year. Uh, Mm -hmm. And you can include more teams when they have those two years than the one year. What makes this so complicated is that, like, the Indians can't just, like, go through this casually and be like, oh, well, we don't have to make a decision yet. Like, no, you do. You need to draw a line in the sand at some point this year because the second opening day arrives, you're, you're keeping it. And as long as you're playing well, then you're invested and you're keeping him not just for that year. But I think if you get to a point a year from right now and Lindor's on your team, he's got to stay on your team. I don't think you're going to get enough in a trade for one year of the guy um, that's going to make it worthwhile to, to bail on him, to, to kill your World Series chances, to give a middle finger to the fan base. I, I think once you get to 
the up the in one off season from now, I think you're committed to keeping him until his contract runs out. What makes this even trickier is that if for some reason the Indians struggle next season, you know, if they sputter in the first half, if it's not looking pretty, if, if they don't think that they can legitimately compete for a World Series, then I think you corner yourself into having to trade him. Because you could still get a haul for him for a year and a half of his services because that team is going to get him down the stretch in 2020 and the full year in 2021. You get two postseason chances with Lindor on your team. Plus, you know, if you can re-sign him after that, great. But again, once you get past that, and if you if you hang on to him in 2020 and don't have a shot mm-hmm. to win, well, then what was the point? You just wasted a year of him. <clears throat> well, so there's, there's the timing the, is crucial here. There's one dilemma in this because you're thinking, and and I don't think you're wrong in this thinking. You're thinking, as we've seen teams operate for, I mean, really forever, where it is important to make a run at a World Series and give yourself as many shots at that with a good player as possible. And we've seen a number of teams in years past give up a major haul to have that really good one or two shots at winning a title. The dilemma here, and there are teams that still think that way. I mean, hell, we saw what the Reds did for Trevor Bauer, and they were setting themselves up for one run next year. Uh, where they think they're going to feel really good about the rotation in 2020. Um, so there are still teams that think that way. But the teams that uh, would probably have the farm systems deep enough to actually get it done, I question whether or not they're going to think that way. And the first two that pop into my mind, and I think it's very fitting because they both got bounced in this year's postseason, is or are the Dodgers and Yankees and both of these organizations, particularly the Dodgers um, have taken more, have been a little bit more risk averse. They've been thinking long-term, how many shots can we take with a really good roster? We're not going to necessarily forfeit our futures completely. We're not going to go all in for one or two years. Uh, Really good, shots at winning a title we would rather have many shots that at a slightly less maybe good chance of doing it and so i question the teams that would have the ability to get it done and, and the dodgers is the first team that comes to mind because they have that deep farm system mm-hmm. and potentially potentially the need though we could probably debate that too are they feeling desperate enough given especially the dodgers the Yankees are getting creamed, but they're getting creamed more for not going out and getting the starting pitcher, which they kind of did. I mean, they did go get James Paxton, who was one of the best pitchers available over the winter. I feel like it's a little bit revisionist history to say they didn't go get any pitching. But both of those teams are now starting to get creamed by their media sections and even some of the, the national media, too, for not quite anting up to go get the major stars to get themselves over the top to go win a World Series. And I think they're looking at it smart, like no player guarantees you pushing you over the top to go get a World Series. And for the Dodgers, you know, how many... I mean, their team has been great. By the looks of their farm system, is going to continue to be great. And so they could look at this, well, we better hurry up and cash in. But they could also just ride this out and see how many shots they could take at winning a World Series with the team that they have. So my major question here is, laying it out the way that you did, and having teams that are desperate enough to go trade for Lindor and give up what it would take to actually pry him away from the Indians, 
are we in an environment now where it would be tough to find that marriage? Yes. What maybe adds a little bit to it is that those two teams you mentioned are two of the seven, eight teams who you could reasonably expect to hand out a $300 million contract. So maybe there's a little bit of an added bonus of if we trade for this guy, we have a year or two to talk him into signing for 10 extra years with us. Um, and so you have the first crack at his free agency, essentially, essentially after the Indians. Uh, so I, I don't know. It, what's weird is, is Gavin Lux is like the most, well, Gavin Lux and Glaber Torres are the most popular names fans throw out. Like, all right, sure. give them to the Dodgers for Gavin Lux. They're catching prospects, a pitching prospect. and <laughs> Yeah, Lux may like, throw in. <laughs> like, I'm not positive that either team would. I don't know that the Dodgers would give up Lux for Lindor straight up. I don't know that the Yankees would give up Torres straight up for Lindor. Uh, teams like the cost-controlled young talent um, because it allows them to be creative elsewhere. It allows them to go spend money on their bullpen. It allows them to acquire Giancarlo Stanton and, and take a risk there financially. Stuff like that. So I, I think there is no perfect marriage. I think the Dodgers and Yankees are two teams who will obviously be linked. I don't think the Cubs have the farm system they once did. No, but no, they just no way. Seem, but, but you don't the, – the, the other half of this is what do the Indians want? What do they want in return? You know, do you want – do you want players who are ready right now? Do you want players who are going to be ready in three years? Do you want a mix of both of those like you got for Trevor Bauer? Do you need an established star in return? Like it's, Do you want someone who can play shortstop to replace Lindor? Because Tyler Freeman's probably two years away. Like This is, this is it's weird. Um, and you can, there are benefits to going for both short-term and long-term on the return. As we I mean, I think the return for Trevor Bauer, we agreed, was was great. Helped them immediately. It, it'll help them in 2020. It'll help them in 2024, probably, in other ways. But, like, I've seen it backfire, too. Um, sure. I mean, I, the, the, the easy example that I, I wrote about was was the Roberto Almar trade. And I know Roberto Almar fell off immediately, but, like, the Indians got burned so bad by that. And, and they went for prospects and then signed Ricky Gutierrez to a three-year deal and that was mark shapiro's way of kind of going you know half in the water half whoa 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 i mean are we forgetting they got all-star matt lawton in that trade yeah and that that really helped but but my point is my, my point though is that that's, that's i am exactly pouring it. one out for alex escobar's knee by the way <laughs> is that changes that trade too i mean in fairness yes that, but they they thought but that's the risk i know i'm just but i am I'm picking up the other end of this as we try to do. We try to position everything as fairly as possible, and he looked like he could be a star if not for that injury. So, you know, who knows? We'll never know what happened. Well, the difference what, what, what would have happened. The Indians think they're contenders for the long haul. I mean, yes. there's, that's, that's the issue. That's why this is so tricky, and I, it's, it's hard to find an example that we can compare or, or draw conclusions from because it's – like, okay, you can say, yeah, the Orioles should have traded Machado a year early. But also, like, the Orioles were trash when they finally traded him. And, and so it's it, it's hard to say what the Indians should do, what they should expect in return, because they think that they are 
contenders? Should they go trade Lindor for prospects who are at double A AA and triple A and then go sign Didi Gregorius to take over for a year? Like that's an option maybe, but also you're, you're certainly not going to be as good in 2020. Right. So it, it's, I don't know what the perfect answer is here. You know, we, we talked about this all last winter and then even into the season with Kluber and Bauer <clears throat> where it was going to be difficult to thread the needle, but there were, were, there were going to be outcomes where they could at least be as competitive with the trade that they were going to make in 2019, trading one of those guys and based on who they got back offensively, that it, it could make sense that you're still competing on the fly. Now, part of that is, at the time, neither one of us expected the Twins to go all world and Super Saiyan on us, but they did, and that ended up changing things drastically. But I think it's diff- more, a lot more difficult to thread that needle with Francisco Lindor because with, with Kluber or Bauer at the time, we're thinking you have other rotational pieces to plug mm-hmm. in, and you're talking about a guy that pitches every five days. Yes, he impacts every pitch he throws on that every fifth day, but position players, it's, I mean, we saw what this offense looked like without Lindor last year. And it was something that we would like to not talk about, but somehow we continue to talk about. I think maybe we just like the pain of watching that and thinking about that all the time. You know, sometimes you just need pain to remember that you're alive. Um, so, yeah, I, that, it, it's going to be more, a lot more difficult, I think, to thread that needle with a, a potential Lindor trade. And should they, if they're trading Lindor, should they even be concerned with threading that needle? Shouldn't the, the goal then be... Just get back, no matter what age, what level, get back the best that you can get of any deal and not worry so much about guys that are going to step in right now. Guys are going to help you compete in 2020. Because as, as we looked at the, and we've talked about the minor leagues, you know, this, a lot of their really upper echelon potential, maybe even stars, are guys that probably aren't going to arrive until maybe 2021 and start that wave. So would it be more beneficial to look to guys that also fit that timeline as opposed to guys that are already in the major leagues and have a couple of years of service time already under their belts? I mean, I'm just throwing out hypotheticals. I don't know that I know exactly what the answer to that is, but I do think it's an interesting time because as I laid out before, both of those teams that we, uh, the Yankees are easy because they have so much infield depth. They have so much corner outfield depth. And it's like, man, you could just pick through a bunch of guys that might be really good fits for this roster. The Dodgers are, are an interesting fit because they do have the deep farm system. They can absorb the loss of, of the number of players that it would take to get away or get him away from the Indians and sending him to the national league, as opposed to sending him to a, what you would consider a direct rival in the American league. When you're still trying to position yourself as a contender, there's obvious, uh, there, there's an obvious, uh, appetite to doing that as opposed to sending him to New York. But well, I think it's an interesting, interesting time because both of those teams probably are starting to feel a little bit of pressure from the media and their fan bases to ramp things up a little bit. I mean, yeah, for the Dodgers, it's like, yeah, this is fun, but you're going to have to give us bobbleheads to start coming to these playoff games because we're <laughs> just kind of bored, you know? Dollar uh, Dodger dog night. Yeah. Uh, so I, that's why I think it, this aligns at an interesting time where maybe you do have a couple of teams that make some sense and have some of the pieces to get it done are pressured into starting to go in and make uh, a deal that we've seen them do in the past, but they've been so averse to doing here over the past several years. Yeah. I mean, I think the Braves, I would, I'd keep an eye on them. 
the break. I mean, capital. And then it's like win now mode. Uh, would the Padres want to do something creative? I mean, they keep working it's out so all these deals, deals with the Indians. <laughs> they keep working out all these deals with the Indians. It's like, yeah, they just keep having these conversations. It's not an obvious fit, but I'm I'm just looking at who has deep farm systems that would have the pieces to get this done. The, it's just it, it's it's tough because you know they never like to talk about window because they think that they can develop. Especially, are you at a NASCAR race right now? Yeah, Jeff Gordon just took the lead. It's amazing. Um, they, they don't like to talk about window because they think that they can just develop, especially pitchers, uh, and just keep competing every single year. But they do have to think about timelines. And like you mentioned, I mean, they're, if, if you are confident, especially with Bieber and Clevenger leading the way, and you've got all these new young pitchers, Savali and Plesak, and if you're confident, you'll have a really strong rotation in 20, you'll still have a really strong rotation in 2023, 2024. And that's when that guy desperately needs a muffler. <laughs> that's when you'll have all these young position players coming up. Yeah. I mean that it, it is something to think like if one team is offering you a package where the best player is 23 and ready to, uh, you know, play in the majors next season and yeah. another team's offering you really good prospects, but, little less proven and they're only 19 or 20 and it's going to be a few years. I mean, that's, that's why you have a, a lot of analysts and smart people in your front office. Um, yeah, this is, I never anticipated reaching a conclusion because this is really just the start of this, this off season, but I think it's helpful to kind of get this uh, initially out of the way. And yeah, I think this is going to be a popular topic in the winter. I, meetings I agree. We've already seen the day after the Yankees got knocked out. You have a national writer saying they need to trade for Lindor. Of course. Unsigned I, I Garrett Cole too, by the way. Yeah. yeah. And like that should get them over the top. I believe the article said, <laughs> <laughs> even if, even if the Indians aren't aggressively shopping Lindor, you're going to hear that more at the winter meetings just because it's, first of yeah. all, there's, there's not, not much else to talk about. But also, it's it makes sense. At least see what's out there. See what kind of offers you could get. And and if you put that out there, you can drive up a bidding war, even though even even if it the teams aren't actually bidding on anything because you're planning on keeping the guy. So it'll be interesting. I, I, it's, now, can, can we, there can, isn't really a... There's no ideal path for the front office. I can think we no say what happens there? There, there are drawbacks. Can we say? I mean, we're going to talk about all these trade possibilities because we kind of acknowledge reality here. But can we just establish that? No matter what, I mean, and I am someone that thinks always in Harbaugh dynasty speak, where I'm salivating at the thought of trading a guy that I have now for multiple pieces, while maybe being able to peruse the free agent market and get somebody that's semi comparable. And then I could just stretch my window even further. I'm always thinking that way. How do I maximize the asset that I have now for the future? And I'm guilty of that. And I stretch that into reality. And so when I think of Lindor trades, I start thinking, man, it could just raid other people's farm system, especially when you start pulling up these top prospect lists and you're like, oh my God, I could have that guy and that guy and that guy. As a front office member, I would be just loving that possibility. No matter what, though, that aside, 
can we just agree that it is absolutely ridiculous that they even have to consider this because we're talking about a generational talent that yep. you should be making space for no matter what? It's, it's a shame. It, it's blame baseball, blame ownership, blame markets, blame, blame everybody involved, yeah. and blame the way the game is set up and the archaic system of paying players long after they're you know, performing at a high level. But, yeah, it, it's, it sucks because, okay, if you're, if you're going to trade them this winter, you're going to trade them for – you're probably going to get at least one guy back in the, in the deal that you hope can become a really bona fide stud. And then we're going to be having the same conversation <laughs> in a few years with that guy on having to trade him early before he leaves. Like, it's it's a never-ending cycle. Sure. And it's it sucks because the Indians, like, kudos to them for drafting a guy who looked like a glove for a shortstop, who had star potential, but nobody knew he'd be this good. No one knew he'd hit for this much power um, and just be a generational talent. And they did such a good job drafting and developing this guy and putting him in positions to succeed. And kudos to Lindor, who has turned himself into, obviously, an incredible player. But it sucks that, like, the Indians have to go through this. And now, instead of, like, and, and it's not fans' fault because fans deserve, like, fans should not have to have Lindor ripped away from them. They should not have to have, like, it, it's ridiculous that Lindor, the second he comes up in 2015, there were probably a couple knobs out there saying, oh, start the clock, only a few years until he'll be in pinstripes. And it's like, I think I can yeah, go find the tweets. <laughs> yeah, like I roll my eyes at that, and it's it's stupid and it's lowbrow humor, but it's like there is tr- it's laced with truth. It's legitimate, and it it sucks that we have to have that conversation, that we have to have this conversation, and that we have to start it so early, and we can't enjoy guys' tenures here because three years, you know, Lindor had three years left, and Paul Dolan's already saying enjoy him, and we'll see what happens, and I'm never gonna hand out a three hundred million dollar mm-hmm. contract. And, like, I know part of that is me asking the question, but it's also the fact of it's it's the reality that we have to jumpstart this conversation and that yeah. the front office has to think about it so far in advance that you you really, I think you don't appreciate the player you have. Someone asked me today, is Lindor really like a top 10 player in the league or do we just kind of assume he is because we see him every day? Or is he viewed like as, as well outside of Cleveland as we think? And it's like... <laughs> It, yeah, I mean, he is. You look. At if the, you can believe it, I think he's underrated in Cleveland. I think if you talk to people outside, they, they just rant and rave and salivate talking about this guy. Well, we've, we've talked about how he is the perfect candidate to be the quote-unquote, and I hate this phrase, face of the game. But he really is, just because of all the things you laid out earlier on how he's bilingual and how he's so polished and smart and talented and well-rounded and uh, just like a leader and, and all those things. And it's like, can you can you say a bad thing about the guy? So, well, another guy, of course, said, "Oh, they need to trade him now because he's he was terrible with runners in scoring position this year." It's like okay, <laughs> like, not going to win that battle. But but like, if you can't keep a guy, this is you dream of finding yeah. players mm-hmm. like this, and then you have to bail on them a year or two early. It's it's a shame. Yeah, it's a shame on a lot of different levels, and it's, it's probably going to end up being a reality. I mean, at some point, you always know that tenure is going to come to an end. You hope that it's on. You hope it's on the terms of he just wanted to go try something else, as opposed to 
you just didn't have the money to get it done. Mm-hmm. And uh, that that is a shame because the, there is no way that the Indians should realistically be considered giving away a guy that you said is you you hope and dream that you, when you draft a guy, he's going to become Francisco Lindor. And maybe, maybe once or twice in her tenure as a GM, do you get and, – and it's more than this, more than luck in this, but get lucky enough to get your hands – on a talent like that. Uh, but as that guy said, he did suck with runners in scoring position, so maybe they ought to cash in while they can before people find out that he just can't hit with guys on base. Yeah, I mean, it's you pointed <laughs> out the, the drop from Lindor to the guys who were replacing him in April, whether it was yeah. Stamets or Moroff. Um, and I was trying <sighs> to think of a comparison. It was like, imagine when Vanna White finally leaves Wheel of Fortune. And they find some, some scrub to replace her, and it's like, like, like she did this job for forty some years. She's an icon. Like, whoever replaces her one day is is doomed. Like, it's it's going to be miserable. Um, and that's that's the drop off from Lindor to whatever fool you're going to play at shortstop who isn't <laughs> going to be nearly as talented. Well, this is just. Well, first of all, part one of this conversation, because as you said, we're going to talk about this a lot this offseason. <laughs> so if you don't want to think about this, uh, unfortunately, uh, the Lindor episodes are probably going to be ones that you want to avoid. But it also is part one of this week. I thought it'd be fun to give our, our listeners a little special treat and give you a bonus episode this week. So coming up later this week, we will have an additional episode that has nothing, well, a little bit to do with Francisco Lindor because as I looked at some of these StatCast oddities, I did find some Lindor stats. So we will get to that coming up later this week. Until then, be good, be safe, and we're out of here. The Selvius Godcast featuring Zach Meisel and TJ Zuppi is presented by our supporters at Anchor. To help support the podcast, visit anchor.fm slash Godcast. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you like what you hear, we sure hope you do, be sure to leave us a five-star review. And if you have suggestions, drop us a DM on Twitter, at Godcast. Thanks for listening.